Fez is on vacation. AJ's on vacation. Fez's is nicer. <laughs> That's a sure thing. And Mackenzie is ready to shine edition. Yeah. It's 10 to 8 Wednesday. We've been digging into some trends. And we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do a hard 28 to 35 minutes. Just NBA, NBA, NBA. Because here's what I can tell you for sure is, well, first I should say, we've got, what do we got? About an hour plus from last week of, of uh, lifestyle gold. That's all <laughs> I can say. So that's going to come after this. I'm also thinking, maybe shoot Sleepy a text now. I'm right. thinking that we should take today's SOV when we were talking specifically about Brooklyn. Because I, I think that's evergreen through the first game. Tell him, let's pull out the best of the Brooklyn. And the gist of it was, and I'll just kind of hit it super high in 10 seconds. Brooklyn's choice between what they did and what their alternatives were, were the alternatives were, uh, there was no choice. It's all gravy. That, that, like the alternative would have been so much worse. But everyone's saying, oh, look what they've risked and it hasn't paid off. Except they didn't risk hardly anything. They signed Kyrie without having to trade for him. Same thing with KD. They trade for Harden, but they got more back. Well, we'll see what Simmons is. But they got more back than they paid for him. So they middled the deal on him. I mean, it's been a master class of low risk, all upside. And though the upside hasn't delivered yet, neither has the downside. And it, and it has delivered because Brooklyn's been on in the middle of the conversation at the NBA the last two years where they weren't before. But I, we go into that a good bit. Tell them like anything that's game specific, from, you know, keep it more macro. You know, when he edits out. So we'll put that in between. So we'll do Mackenzie and I's rundown. We'll see if he can hold. If he delivers, I'm thinking about doing a second pod with him, like a, a quick 40 throughout, you know, maybe jump into that NBA cycle. We'll see. He's on, he's on, uh, hmm, trial. We'll call it a trial period. Showtime! We're going to go west than east. We're going to go amongst the everyone better than 50 to 1 we're going to talk about. Let's start in the west. The Suns plus 270. Now, this is a team last year. It felt like they had their one chance. The Lakers were, were banged up and everything else fell right. Oh, uh, Leonard was out. They got there, boy, oh, Chris Paul, this could have been his career definer. No, this team better this year. The Suns better than they were last year. Why better? Let's start there. Fundamentally, most of the same players. What's different about Phoenix? DeAndre Ayton, the center, didn't get his big deal over the, over the summer, but he's improved a lot. So he actually, maybe because he didn't get the big deal, he's a guy that's shooting – you know, tremendously well. If you look at the... See, the I heard it was Jordan Love is what motivated him. Oh, wait, that, <laughs> that was different. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you know, the competition. Uh, if you look at the Suns' shot selection, like where they get their shots from, it's the worst in the league by cleaning the glass. Meaning, if they shot average, and everybody shot average, where they get their shots, Suns would have the worst offense in the league. But they don't have average shooters. They have 
So when you say where they get their shots, we're simply talking about the dreaded, quote-unquote, dreaded long twos. Yes. They're shooting a lot of twos. Yeah, they have three guys that are big, long two shooters. Okay, and the whole premise of the modern era, the analytically driven, the premise is you either want to do dunks or threes. The theory being dunks, you have a high shooting percentage. Not when I would dunk, but that was different (laughs) on the nine-foot rim. But the threes, hey, it's 50% more. So obviously the extreme case of this is you have your foot on the line, KD style against Milwaukee. You're shooting 99% of the length of a three, but you're getting only two. But the theory has been, and this is something the Spurs kind of touched on a couple years ago. I don't really follow them close enough now to know if they still do. Hey, if the defenses, and we, we saw this in the NFL, it's an ebb and a flow. It's an evolution. Whatever Kansas City was doing offensively, how you want to explain that, when the soft shell started, and yep. say, then it was like, okay, now maybe the inefficiency, because everything moved to take care of the, uh, the, that reacted to the exploiting of the inefficiency that Kansas City did. Now, the reaction to it means something else can be exploited. Maybe it's New England with the power game. We'll see. And what you're, what the theory, not only is Chris Paul a good mid range shooter, but the theory is the defenses are, are rushing out to get the shooters. And thus, maybe the weakness, the area that can be exploited now is the mid-range. Yes, and I think more than anything, they get a good shot on every possession with this philosophy where they want dunks, they want threes, but eight seconds in the shot clock, they're always going to get a decent mid-range shot. I think we see this in the clutch. People have talked about this. By far the best clutch numbers we've seen, 25 points better net rating per 100 possessions in the clutch. Now, oftentimes... When you have teams that are good late, tight games, think about the NFL. One of the metrics of regression from one year to the next is, hey, they were 6-2 and in one-score games. The theory is no one is clutch in football. Now, I'm not sure that's true. I think that there's more sense that clutch is something that has – an element of luck, it's at least 50%, if not 70 or 80. But Joe Montana is better late relative to his normal level than Trubisky. Oh, I don't know. Trubisky won some games, so think of who's bad. I'm not sure who meets. I, I would say um, Neil O'Donnell, not Clutch. I think there's something to it, but there's a lot less to it than people think in football in basketball, it seems like there's a real belief amongst the analytics crowd that execute that, that, that precision of execution can make all the difference. And Phoenix has an amazing record in close games, amazing record late, but it's a selling point by a lot of serious people. Last year, they had a really good clutch rating too, and let me define that. Last five minutes of the fourth quarter, within five points, how does your team do? Every possession being considered when it meets that criteria. I think the fact that they've put this together two years in a row, and it just matches with what my eyes see as far as how their offense runs, where they have five options on every play, so they don't panic. They they act cool, calm, and collected. And Chris Paul being there as the point yes. god. Yes, he's, he's running the show. And 
at any point in time, you can throw it to him or you can throw it to Devin Booker, and within five seconds, they can get you a decent shot. So we do believe that the clutch performance of Phoenix isn't something that's going to regress. We think it's something that's rooted in uh, it's a quality of theirs, and we believe it's it's the diver- it's the number of players that can get them a shot. Because one of the things that hurts teams late typically is that clear out yes. hero ball, right? Even in in the numbers that. I think these numbers are too tight, but if they look at last shot to take the lead, like no one really has good numbers there. It does go to show, I think, how how not fruitful it is to do that clear out late. Yeah, it shows how valuable the shot clock is where anytime you're waiting for the last second to shoot, you're shooting, like you said, everyone has bad numbers, 20%, 30% from the field. Now we're talking about two different – so you're saying you're using late in the shot clock as an analog to late in the yeah, game. Yeah, to, to hero ball, to, to someone that – Okay, I see that. A lot of times a, a great wing player will have the ball with 10 seconds to go and hold it, especially late in the game, You know, waiting for that one moment. That's not efficient basketball oftentimes. Uh, Monty Williams, the Suns coach, has a two-second rule. If you have the ball for two seconds and you don't move it or shoot it, then you're doing something wrong. I like that kind of philosophy, and I think that shows up in the way they play. Now, that, now you're, you're bringing up some good points because, one, the supposedly coaches nowadays don't have the power to dictate like that, fiat. But Chris Paul, who at least was a major player in the uh, union, right, the yep. Players Association, probably one of the most powerful players in the league politically, him accepting, you know, the old thing about Belichick coaching Brady hard and everyone said, well, how he can coach me hard. Chris Paul um, acquiescing to accepting such a uh, rule from above, how is player X or Y not going to? How is eight not going to? So what we're saying is, in a way, Chris Paul, by allowing himself to be dictated to, is really helping the Suns because, as you said, and I think it's a good analogy, is if we look at late in the shot clock, really late, the numbers are horrible for everyone, some people less so than others, but still generally bad. If you are saying clear out and I'm going to shoot the ball with five seconds or less left, you're in a way fabricating, you're you're creating... That same situation where you got the ball, everyone knows you don't even have time necessarily to pass. What is that? That's just like at the end of a shot clock. And that's, those numbers aren't good at the end of games. They're not good at the end of shot clocks. And the games are small sample size. But we look at the analog and say, hey, what's really different? This sucks too. Why put yourself in that situation? Why? Because that person wants to do the Michael triple pump over Elo. <laughs> and you know what? You're not Michael. Win. You're not Michael. Nobody is, and you have to have an unpredictable offense. I think that's what the Suns are able to do with having five guys that can score, led by one guy that has completely unselfish, Chris Paul. No need to believe in either side or any side. The belief is in your own precision. That's not Chris Paul. That's from Three Days of the Condor. Great. That's my dad's favorite movie. Is it? I've never seen it. (laughs) That's a loving son. I I should see it. (laughs) My father raising me. My greatest influence, he thinks of all the movies ever made, is <laughs> one that touches his heart. And Mackenzie says, see you tomorrow, Dad. I got some girl down at the, at the coffee shop. I think she's looking twice at me. You get some boons for I'm going to go. <laughs> all right. We are the dream preview. 
And yes, it's Mackenzie's dream. So far, B plus I'm going to give it. B plus. Nice. What was your GPA at Yale? Uh, in my major. Just answer the question. 3.3. I that's tell people 3.7 because that was my English grade. That's what really mattered. Yeah, that's what we want to hear is your bullshit. <laughs> my equivocating, my bad grade. So the grade. Suns are plus 270. Let's do a forced bad here, but not really. And let's assume the take back is the normal straddle. Or the 270 is the take back. Let's say the lay is the normal. Do you play on them or against them? I play on them. It's about the, the field. The Warriors, big question marks. Yes, they've been a great team. We're going to get to those teams. Yeah, but I, mean, I, I just think the Suns have a, have a clear path. I think they're in the finals. They have a clear path. No, who doesn't have a clear path? All right. Next team. <laughs> Good point. The Golden State Warriors, plus 850. Obviously, the uncertainty with Golden State is about health. The big three, as they're called. Oh, and let's give credit where credit's due. I've been a skeptic of the aging. I mean, Steph, not so much, but I'm having a mental block. The, the, the defensive guy. Draymond Green. Yeah, Draymond Green. Draymond, I think two, three years ago, was getting a little portly, was getting a little, you know, and obviously he's hit or miss with his effort. You know who else thought that is Draymond Green. He said, I've, I've been playing like crap the last couple of years. And this year. And I've been eating like crap. Yes. I mean, yeah. He had to Did lose he 20 pounds. Off? He had to lose 20 pounds before. before uh, to ride on the ride? Just to make it through the playoffs, I guess. But the, but the so year. He lost 20 pounds and he still missed a lot of games, though. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't have to lose 20 pounds in the middle of the season. That's not a good thing. Yeah. So now Clay is Clay. Now. You got some numbers. Now, this might not be what it seems, but what was Golden State's record with Clay and without Clay? So, with Clay Thompson, 17 and 15 straight up. 17 and 15. So, that's barely above 500 with him. Yes. And without him, 36 and 14, 72% winners. That's better, isn't it? Yes. It's much better. Now, here's the thing Draymond was out. A lot of the games that Clay was in. So Clay and Draymond only played one game, right? Wasn't that the one game then Steph got? Oh, wait, I guess. So Steph got hurt. Has Draymond just been playing and playing ever since he came back? Yeah, since he came back. So how's his numbers? Let's take a look. Because the question is now the interplay amongst the players, I think it's been proven Clay and Draymond. And staff play well together. Now, this is a different clay, a post-injury clay. But just because all three haven't played together, what I'm uh, – the questions as I see them is, is, is clay going to keep trending uh, – will clay trend upwards? I don't think it's reasonable to expect that this year. So I think you're probably getting what you're getting with clay right now. Will Steph come back 100% or soon be 100% I think is a big question. But we can answer what Dray Draymond's going to get. Is it Draymond? Draymond or Draymond? Draymond. I always say Draymond when I remember. Is how's his performance? I don't know. We want to use PER, what we want to use. But like since he's come back, I want to really drill home why I'm thinking about it this way. Once again, we know how those three for the Warriors play when they're playing at their best. Now, will we ever see that from... Clay again, I don't know. I hope so, just because he it was such bad luck. And he's supposedly a really great guy by all accounts. 
You don't hear that all the time. It's not the BS part of it. And if you accept that Clay's dropped off, now Dunks and Threes is a site that um, we've been using a little bit lately. I like some of their tools. Let's look at Clay and just get a feel. And this is like kind of a plus minus, not a plus minus, I'm sorry. It's got something where if the, whatever, it's a one number composite kind of deal that tries to account for everything. And you can split it up offense, defense. But if I'm not mistaken, like the Joker is far in a way ahead and he's like right around plus 10, is it? Yeah, plus 9.3. And then like the second best player is like plus seven, right? So like plus seven is uh, six or seven is really good, right? And the Joker is just in a different planet right now. Right. Okay. So and Z is zero right around an average NBA player? So half the players have a negative number? Is that the way it goes? Yes. Okay. So then I like that. It's better than the 30, a lot, you know, the 30 on PER, where it doesn't make any sense. I think zero's average, negative, positive. Okay, so Clay, before his injury, let, let's just say his last season, what was his number? So he was at plus 2.2. Before his injury? Yeah, in 2019. And what was he the year before that? Plus two and a half. All right, so plus two and a half is pretty stand or is what Clay was at. Now, what's he been since he's come back? This is shocking to me. 3.0. Okay. So every listen, given metrics aren't always right, but at least by these measures. Now, since we have such a clean break, mean no pun intended, I guess it wasn't a break, but let's take a gander at like 19 versus this year with PER with him just to see how it lines up. And as we dig into these numbers, it's surprising. I mean, one, Clay Thompson statistically, and this EPM is estimated plus minus at this three dunksandthrees.com, I guess. And by anyone that watches the NBA, the opinion is, and let's ask you, Mackenzie, you've seen Golden State more than a few times this, since Clay came back. Does he look like he did in 2019? No. And he isn't shooting as well, and he seems to be forcing a lot more shots by the eye test. First thing I did was look at true shooting percentage, and that that looked like he had dropped off, but these other numbers, not so much, not at all. And listen, we might say, well, let's, like we said just a second ago, let's check. Uh, oh, I don't know, PER. We've heard of that. Well, it says the same thing. Yes. Last time he was healthy, 16.7, 2019. This year, 16.8 PER. So it's better this year. Yeah, slightly, yeah. Okay, so take that for what it's worth, but the numbers say that. Now, Steph, he was the MVP favorite, and justifiably so. He was as playing as well as anyone has with his estimated plus minus being upwards of 10, you know, 10.0. Now, again, now I think about it, this is based on plus minus. So what it's effectively saying is in, what is it, 100 possessions – him on the court, that team with all average people yep. around him would win by 10 points a game, which is better than Phoenix's. So what they're saying is the way Steph was playing, if Steph was surrounded by all average players, exactly average on his team, and the other team was exactly average, which by definition your opponents in the NBA are, because you're going to play the best, you're going to play the worst, you can play everyone in between. If anything, if you're a good team, your opponents are slightly below average because you're removed. Average includes you. Now, Phoenix this year was eight and a half points better in their net margin. 
Steph with average players when he was at his height this year would have been 10 points better. So the best team in the NBA would have been Steph plus a bunch of average players. By the numbers, yeah. RJ, to be honest, that context blows my mind. Because, yeah, 10 points for, per game like the Bucks last a couple years ago when they were setting records, 10 points a game. But not just – I'm With efficiencies plus that net – and again, what, just to give some context, no team in NBA history had had two regular seasons in a row that efficient without winning a title. And lo and behold, Milwaukee the next year wins a title. So, and now this year, their efficiency, what was their efficiency, Milwaukee this year? Milwaukee this year was only plus four, eighth in the league. So maybe they learned a lesson which was the regular season. You don't want to exert yourself too very much, though that might be a fundamental flaw in the game, the league, that the smart teams don't play as hard, but you charge the same amount for tickets every game. But okay, that's another conversation. But the idea that when Giannis finally figures things out, it's to make less effort, but maybe not all less effort always about less effort but rather about sampling let's try some zone let's see if we do this on the pick and roll what happens it being a beta testing area where you're trying but you're not worried about every bucket as much as you want the information that comes from those reps i'm not sure that doesn't really say the nba hey let's let's go to 72 let's go to whatever yeah less less there was that line in the uh, Money Never Sleeps, the second Wall Street, when he goes, how much, you know, it was a repeat of the famous, <laughs> and I really do like this one. I like how you even hear the drink that Gecko's pouring. When does it all end, huh? How many yachts can you water ski behind? How much is enough? Well, there was a variation of that question in the second one, and it wasn't Gecko that answered, but the guy goes, more. Like that. (laughs) So I'm going to do this to Commissioner Silver. Less. (laughs) Less. Less games. Uh, Or Michael Colleone, Godfather 3. More lawyers. Even even if you take out COVID absences. (laughs) What are you going to be, a tough guy? Okay. Even if you take out COVID absences, 6,000 games lost due to injuries this season, new record. By far the most. And people are talking about, is it injuries or is it strategy? Well, who thinks it's all injuries? Nobody. You're right. So who's talking about that? No one. Well, I mean, it's some of it's injuries. I know, exactly. <laughs> but the delta is the issue, right? Yes, yes. Why is it getting worse year after year? I think the NBA has to change something. Well, Silver talked about it. I mean, the fact he's talking about it means it's probably – listen, he's been proactive when he felt it necessary, and I give him credit for that. All right. This is the dream preview. Steph played that well early. How's his game been? I mean, it plummeted after a very short absence, and it really hasn't recovered. The second half, to see, however you want to look at it late, what's been his number and what team is that commensurate with? So in December, it peaked at 10, plummeted all the way to zero by January, and since then it's been about plus four. If you look at that, on a team basis. So plus four, okay. It's like the Dallas Mavericks or the Milwaukee Bucks, seventh, eighth in the league. Okay. So he went from being better than the best all the way to an average team, which would be about 15th. He's drifted back up 
about the eighth best team is him by himself with average players. But now the question becomes, he's been out for a while. How is the stuff that comes back? Now, we're not trying to talk about any given like game one or whatever, but it seems to me that the talk we were talking about earlier and you said and shared with me was they're scrimmaging. They're going to decide if he's ready for game one. Well, let me tell you, he's not 100%. Right. I don't know how quick he'll get back, but let's assume Steph's less than the Steph that was about a plus four. So plus two, even, I don't know. We got Clay as Clay. You can either buy into the numbers or not. And then we got Draymond. And Draymond, there, he had his absence. And again, it was distinctively worse. Yeah, plus four on EPM prior to his injury. After the All-Star break, he's played 12 games. Only plus two, about half as good. If you look at that on a team basis, it's like he went from being the Milwaukee Bucks to the Cleveland Cavaliers at plus two. Okay, and I, I'm more interested in the rank. The plus two would be right, right around twelfth, maybe. Uh, we look, yeah. I actually looked at this sixth plus four would be the sixth best center in the league where he's at after the All-Star break since the injury. No, so we're not comparing him to teams now. We're comparing him to other centers, but go ahead. He would be the 22nd center by EPM if we're just looking at him post-All-Star break, post-injury. All right, so in general, the Warriors were right there amongst the favorites. Now they're the second favorite in the West, but they're still 8.5 to 1, and I think it makes sense, and the injuries are a big question. You could imagine Steph comes back, plays as well as he did early in the year because maybe fatigue was part of it. And then if, if if Clay is truly as good as the numbers and Draymond gets back to the plus four, this team is probably equal to Phoenix. Yeah, and they were equal much of the year by the odds. They were plus, plus 400, you know, coming out of the All-Star break. Their odds have doubled. Their payout has doubled. The Suns have obviously improved. All right, next up, this is the seventh favorite in the NBA, third favorite in the West, the Grizzlies. I don't know if we have to talk about this so much. Everyone's heard about the... Twenty uh, and five. Yeah, about the <laughs> um, it's Jaw Morant, right? That's how you say. It. Is that's an interesting name because it almost feels like a, a long last name, like Jaw Morant, but it's not. That reminds me famously of Pete Sabraki. There was a guy we grew up with. He was crazy. <laughs> he had a rat and he fed the rat LSD, and he was crazy. The rat. And you had a friend with a nickname Crazy. This wasn't him. No, that was Crazy Dave. This guy was crazy <laughs> objectively, but so was Crazy Dave. We just didn't. This guy was older than, you know, older than I was comfortable with. <laughs> but I, I could never figure out. It was a great question. Everyone said Pizza Brocky. And I was like, is his first name Pizza <laughs> and his last name Brocky? Or was it Pete Sabraki? Never found the answer. I, I think I could with the internet. But never bothered. Okay. <laughs> was there an apostrophe, a hyphen, maybe? Do you always have to? You, I wonder how many times I'd go back and forth that you would let it draw. Let, let's try it. <laughs> no, I haven't. But, you know, there is a story about an apostrophe, but I'll tell that another time. Let's move on to the next topic. All right. <laughs> yeah. Hey. <laughs> He's learning, baby. He's learning. All right. We know that with Jaw Morant. Jaw Morant. And they're deep. We also know the Grizzlies are a team, like any team, the depth doesn't give you as many advantages in the regular season. Now, let's not act like there's no advantages to depth. There's different pieces. Imagine 
if you're, hmm, imagine you lay brick and imagine you've got like a trowel and you've got an all these different tools. I don't know a lot of the brick laying tools, but let's say you've got every one and one is good for around a corner or the other. Okay, you can only use one at a time. And in most jobs, you're only going to need the basics. But the guy that's got the, you know, artisan type tools that he has in the back and hidden in his trunk, he pulls out. And it's, these are the ones they used to use back in Italy on the other side. But, you know, maybe they're not useful every job, but they, got, they give you flexibility. So if the NBA playoffs is about you play a game, whoever loses makes an adjustment. It either wins or doesn't. If it does, the other team makes an adjustment. Who runs out of counter moves dictates who wins series in the NBA. And you know what is the trump card of counter moves? MJ flying through the sky. <laughs> yeah. Right? So it's really about when you run out of answers, there's the ultimate answer. And that tends to win titles. What wins playoff series, if one of those superheroes are not in it, are usually who has who's stuck without a counter move sooner. Well, the more players you have, hey, let's go small. Let's go big. Let's press. Let's do whatever. Let's foul the shit out of them and play hack-a-shack, but we don't care because we're four deep here at, you know, the, the five or whatever. Okay, at the center. Grizzlies have likely the coach of the year, Grizzlies have the deepest team in the NBA. It also speaks well of the future that they could package three players to get one really good player. Now you don't you have depth still not extreme depth, but now you got more top heavy which you want in the NBA typically but not like the Lakers. This is fascinating and there is talk the Ringer had a pot are the Grizzlies changing team building best practices. There's fundamentally they they've done something different. So let's applaud them for that. But this year in the playoffs, what does it mean? I'm not so sure that they have the flexibility. They have a lot of great players. They have a lot of— So what are they lacking that causes them to lack flexibility? I, I didn't think that was the problem. Kind of what we started talking about this pod is what you don't want, which is a player that can play hero ball. But I don't think they have a wing that th- that's a threat to score at all times. All right, so Morant is 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 cla- is considered a point guard? Yeah, he's a point but guard. But can a point but with the, in the age of combo guards, aren't they wings? Like what, what what's the difference between a wing and John John Morant? He doesn't look to take any jump shots. He's he's driving and he's looking to assist or he's looking to get into the paint. He can take a few threes, but he can't he's not going to hit but that fadeaway. Is that threes and dunks? And yeah, dunks and threes? And that's what we were saying. That's what defenses have trained, especially the best defenses, to take away. And okay. that's what I worry about with the Grizzlies. But, but is the theory now that the optimal play is the mid-range? Or is it if you have players that are especially well-suited for the mid-range and you want to try to exploit the reactions the defenses have had to the dunks and threes, you can still be equally efficient. But it's not a disadvantage to be dunks and threes anymore or at this point. So what's the disadvantage, though? It's a lack of flexibility. It's it's if if those are the only two kinds of shots. So that, no one else on the team can sh- can everyone is like John Morant going to the rim. No, they, I mean Dylan Brooks would be the guy, their best wing player, their best wing shooter, but he's just he's not. A, if you're talking about trading in quarters for a dollar, I think you upgrade at that position with well, Dylan. We're Brooks. not. We're not. This isn't the off season pod. I'm saying what. So let's look at this fellow. I don't know him. What's his? What's his? Uh, EPM, 
because it, and you might want to go to the team we're on, you know, at any given time. But, you know, telling you the story about that apostrophe, oh, wait. <laughs> plus, plus three and a half for Dylan Brooks. He's had a great season. Especially right. on defense, so plus the, two so, and a half. So your analysis is his problem. The, the problem with the Grizzlies is the guy whose numbers are as good as Draymond Green's were when he was playing really well. Yes, and but if you break down his, his great number, plus 3.6, about two-thirds of it is defense. So I'm, I'm talking about that offensive wing that gives you another option. Okay. All right. So if we look at their efficiency, the Grizzlies – is it now the question is the net number is going to say, well, they're, you know, considering offense and defense, but are they deficient on offense? No. So what's the numbers? They're number four on offense, number five on defense. Okay. I, I, I would make the point, though, that regular season offense changes a lot more so than, than the defensive numbers. So the, so the playoffs is where the offense changes. Yeah. And that generally the belief is it's slower pace, less transition buckets. Yeah, and this this is a Minnesota's the number one pace team in the league. The mm-hmm. Grizzlies are third. So you're gonna get an up and down series for this, but I don't okay. I don't know if they have the ability to slow it down and do well. But they don't need to for round one. Not for round one, no. So what we're saying here is if the Grizzlies like sweep, and from what we saw, and we're recording Wednesday into the evening. What we saw with the um, Minnesota was a team that the moment of a playing game felt too big for them, at least for Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. Um, I was looking at the box score. It's amazing. He had four different stretches on the floor. Not one of them had a positive plus minus. So he, it was big for him, too big it seemed. Now, no guarantee he won't figure it out, but if the Grizzlies, who I affectionately call Vancouver sometimes, if the Grizzlies win in five, it's going to be, well, listen, we had our questions about them, but they've answered them after round one. You're making, a, I think, a really insightful point. If their problem ends up being the Grizzlies, their problem ends up being they can't play as effectively without as many transition opportunities. It won't be a problem in round one. It will be obscured, but it will still be a potential problem. So you're looking, especially if they look impressive here, to maybe fade them in round two, the Grizzlies. Yeah. And look, John Moran, I got to say, I was a skeptic on. I thought his defensive deficiencies would kind of make him an average player, despite how great he is on offense. But you look at his EPM numbers, plus four and a half points on offense. He is still a negative defensive player, negative one point by EPM on defense, but his offense and his offense improvement All right, so if you look year. at the net, where does that put him with point guards? Tied for ninth with Fred Van Vliet. So that's nowhere near where his brand is, his esteem is, him being, you know, I would say that if you polled casual or even beyond casual but not hardcore NBA fans, if I wasn't now digging into the NBA because it's that season, playoff season, I would say – Morant's one of the top three or four young players in the game. He's the only young player that was in the MVP conversation in March. So what you're saying is, though, you were a skeptic and he's probably better than you thought, that even if you just look at his offense, if you said defense doesn't matter anymore, his offense puts him, you know, pretty much where Draymond, when he was playing better, was overall. Meaning, like, again, like, like you said, eighth or ninth out of 30, that's good. But 
the hype train is. I mean, eighth or ninth out of 30 when there's five positions. Uh, if you just looked at offense, where is he at a point guard? He's fourth behind only Trey Young, Curry, and Luka Doncic. But not only, he's fourth. Yeah, he's, he's right where Darius Garland is, a guy a lot of people haven't even heard of. Yeah, so it feels like, and again, listen, it's small market. If a small market's getting attention and it, it does feel in contrast, let's be honest, to Zion. Oh, yeah, 100%. I like it, but I think maybe the cart's a little ahead of the horse. Next team, and this is the line. Oh, no, we got three. We're going to do about... 90 seconds on each of these teams. Utah Jazz. Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert have been uh, at odds, you know, probably since the COVID, but more so recently where they're saying things through the media with each other. And if you look at two stats, Clutch, we talked about with the Suns, the Jazz are the opposite. They're a top three team by net rating, bottom 10 team when it matters most, five minutes to go within five points. Now, we talked about how typically extremes when it comes to Clutch – my tendency is to think that they are random. There's luck to them. We're saying with the Suns, it wasn't. Do we think there's a tangible reason Utah is this way? I do. Donovan Mitchell has passed, you know, a stat was going around. He passes to Gobert like two times a game. Now, he's a shooting guard. He's shooting more than he's passing. There's no reason why he should pass. Yeah, I'd be interested. How's that number compared to where it was before their little conflict? Yeah, and I, I don't have that. In, in front of me. But the other stat that I think kind of shows that this is a team that's not clicking is out off a loss, off a straight-up loss, they're terrible. They have, like, a below—I don't have this right in front of me, but they have a below 30%. So where is this classic place all this is? Because you don't have the one number in front of you, but it's— I Well, mean, I'll, I'll look it up, and then a week will buy, and then I'll think about the point, but I know it's not up-to-date numbers. So let me grab that. Yeah. The Now, to me, if a team is starting— if a team doesn't check itself after a loss or two, if they have losing streaks, well, just think about human beings. Uh, some people, they slip a little bit on something. They put on a pound or two. They're checking their weight every day or whatever. And all of a sudden, they're not. They're drinking water, eating lemons. And other people, they almost relish in the drop-off. It's almost like this is what their nature is, and they embrace it. Feel, and, and listen, a lot of this, by all accounts, has to do with the way you were brought up. Or, you know, were your parents yelling? Were they talking calmly? Sometimes things feed upon themselves. And I don't want to like paint Europeans or Frenchmen with a broad brush, but obviously, at least in depictions in the media, there's a sense of sometimes hot headed, sometimes, you know, uh, tempestuous. Oh, Fez would like that one. And what does seem to speak to that there's some personality conflicts or certainly isn't that team helping each other is how Utah is off a straight-up loss. Typically, teams, Belichick's famous. You lose a game. They're not losing that next game. But Utah, different. Yeah, after they lose a game, the next game, 11 and 21, 34% against the spread. And that's bad. All right, so if they lose, it causes – now, on the season, they were just above 40% against the spread, so they weren't great. But if you lose a game, you're supposed to perk up. You're supposed to pay attention. Tie your shoes with a little more precision. <laughs> Play more like Chris Paul, 11 and 21. Well, we were digging in before the show. If you go back to the game before the loss, so what could that game be? It could be a win or it could be a loss, right? We're talking straight up again. 
So what's the two scenarios after losing a game? Well, it could be you're off a win and a loss or a loss and a loss, right? Because we're looking one game back. When it's a win and a loss, Utah's 8 and 10 that third game against the spread. When it's a loss and a loss and the trouble is starting to build, it compounds 3 and 11. Now, that, that's an indictment. You lose two straight games. The third game against the spread, you're three, and you, you fall short of expectations 11 out of 14 times, three and 11 against the spread. That speaks to that when the, when the problems start, they exacerbate fundamental problems that are already there. Is that how you see it? Exactly how I see it. This is a team, third best net rating in the league, Two separate five-game losing streaks. It seems like something's amiss there. So net rating is considered probably the best. If there's one measure of how good a team is, people love net rating. Third best team? Now, I'm guessing Phoenix and what's Boston next? Yeah. How many five-game losing streaks do they have? Take a gander. I'm guessing not many. We're going to take a quick little sojourn when he's doing that. Turning back. I'm using up too many words. Sojourn? I don't think Fez would have counted that one. He's got me self-conscious. Listen, if it's Christmas Eve and it's cold, the boulevard is kind of bad. But all right, I hear you, Elton John. Living on the boulevard. <laughs> what do we got? So the Phoenix Suns, zero five-game losing streaks. The second-best net rating team, the Celtics, zero five-game losing streaks. Same thing with the Grizzlies, number four. Jazz, again, number three in net rating. Golden yeah. State has one five-game losing streak. So one from Golden State. And, again, a lot of injuries. A lot. It does seem like that there's sm- if there's smoke, there's fire. In this case, there's some fire when it comes to the trouble on the Jazz. Okay, even more quickly, I mean, are you a joker for MVP guy? Yes. Yeah. All right. I, thank God I didn't want to have to let you go. <laughs> the odds speak strongly. Nicola, the joker, minus 300. Joel, I like to score in bead, plus 270. And my favorite. Guy nice anti-toko umpo. Just because of that. Yawn. No, I like Yawn. I like the, I like he the way he bucks the American player. I mean, there's it's it, it's almost like an old schoolness to him. It's a shame that you have to come. Not that you have to, but the it seems more likely if you come from Greece or Europe. I don't know. I don't see Europeans being all that hardworking. I mean, I'm not saying. I mean, let's be honest. It's, <laughs> it's kind of some half socialist countries over there. That's true. I mean, here's the thing, and we won't get off on a track, sidetrack with this, but I think what ruins sports for me is at the professional level or even the college level, if this were the case, so it's harder to be the case, is when I feel like I got nothing in common with the players. Now, if I'm white, as I am, a lot of the professional players in the leagues that we cover are black. Just intrinsically, you're going to say, well, you don't have that in common. But I'm a believer in the following. You take a black guy from the inner city, black gal, that works a straight job, works hard, struggling, 
and you take that same person from Pennsylvania, that, that or let's just say that same socioeconomic place, they have more in common than, well, let's think of it, is two whites or two blacks who are from, you know, Herman Cain and that worker from the inner city or Marco Rubio. Well, I guess he's Hispanic, so I don't know who it will be. Uh, oh, I know. Um, who's the goofball from Utah? Romney. Mitt Romney? Yeah. Romney and the guy from Pennsylvania. He's probably going to come in like in Godfather 3. Remember with the glasses? He, they stabbed the one. It would be like for Trump, though, like, <laughs> not that we'd support that because, you know, don't want people murdered unless they have to be. I mean, to me, just send them to prison camps, but you don't have Why to. Why not? I mean, but. Blood on your hands. <laughs> but what do you think of that, Mackenzie? Yeah, I think uh, Jaden Smith is an African American, but I don't think most African Americans live the life of Jaden Smith. Uh, my sister, Jane Smith would have more in common with Trump's uh, a baron. Yeah, baron, baron. So obviously, you know, Trump obviously connected with the working class. And you know, to me, the thing about him connecting with the working class, he never did the stuff that typically rich people try to do to connect, wear blue jeans, you know, talk different. Like, in a weird way, when, once we get paid, and again, if he runs in 24, it'll be right back into the, what is it? The Maelstrom? Maelstrom, yeah. Maelstrom, all right. I think that's too gender, but Maelstrom, I think it's Maelstrom. <laughs> but <laughs> that's where that toxic masculinity comes from, the ma the Maelstrom. <laughs> yeah, why is male, why is that be male valent? Exactly, that's, bad. that's what I was thinking about <laughs> 20 seconds ago. Now, <laughs> but but the thing is, to me, is... Once all of this is passed and we gain some perspective on it, I think Trump showing the connections between that it wasn't skin color, it was more economics. It's how much, if the American dream is your kid does better than you, then it seems like people who are struggling in the same way or killing it in the same way are going to have a lot more in common. Doesn't matter what your skin color is. And to me, that's almost like it's not a beautiful manifestation of it, but it's almost like the Martin Luther King speech. It's saying, okay, now it'd be nice if we could get past the socioeconomic differences, but boy, if those are more connecting those similarities, then the color of the skin is um, distancing. Well, that seems like a good step. And I don't think we're ever going to get the socioeconomic stuff straight because this is not there's not equal talent in the world. So as long as talent allows for greater success, the best we can hope for is the least among us have the basics covered. To have opportunity. Well, I think it is even bigger than that. I think you're right that a great standard is everyone has a fair, and to say equal is going to just sound pie in the sky because we all know everyone, or some people have their own little personal biases, and it could be racism or it could be I don't like people wear hats, you know, especially up backwards, <laughs> right? So there's all of that. And, I mean, I have them too, not backwards baseball hats, but you know what I'm saying, is a great uh, something to reach, something to strive for would be everyone has equal opportunity. 
But I think I'd like to do better than that, meaning I really believe, if mark this down as a prediction, a premonition, the whole universal wage thing is almost certainly, or um, is that what they call it? Universal basic income? Yeah. That is almost certainly to come to pass. Almost. Because at some point, you can't tax. I mean, if you look at... If you look at the richest, like if you look at every year on a given day, January 1, the richest person in 1990, 91, 92, and just look at it year by year, put on a nice chart. I mean, I think it was all the way up to 2010. Maybe look this up. The richest person in the world, 2010, you were, it was, it was um, Buffett and Gates battling for a long time, and it was right in that $60 billion range. Yep. Carlos Slim, 2010, 53 billion, just edged William Gates the third. And Slim, who bought the New York Times, if I'm not mistaken, uh, kind of had a surge, but okay, so 60 some, right? Mm. Now, what's the number? Elon Musk, 220 billion. Forbes list as of March. Now, do me a favor. See what J.D. Rockefeller had at his height. Now, J.D. Rockefeller by percentage of like the economy was much richer than any I don't know now that where we're moving with Elon. So Elon's number real quick was what? 220 billion. All right, go ahead. Now what was JD? JD Rockefeller 900 million in today's money that's 24 billion. Now that doesn't sound right at all. Lord, I know he was a billionaire and what's that say like that was what they found in his couch? His personal wealth in 1913. Oh, he had all kind of crazy I mean, he he had trust going from day one. I mean, you still know the Rockefeller name for a reason. Yeah. Right? So. I've heard people throw the trillion number with him and his, yeah. his net worth, but. I know. All right. So let's do this then, because I don't even know who it would be. But let's let's do this. So 19, or this will be telling. So we looked at 2010. We looked at now. That's 12 years difference. Let's go 12 years in the past, 1998. So. From 60 to 240 is almost 4X. Mm. All right. So under that theory, we'd be at 15 billion. All right, let's call it 20 billion in 98 would be about the same growth. What were we? William Gates III, 50 billion. There so, were, yeah, there was two guys above 35, so. Yeah, but you're confusing the matter. We're talking about the top, right? So yep. 50 billion in 1998 to 60 billion and 2012. 2010, yeah. 2010, 12 years. Yeah, 98 to 10. And 10 or 12 more years, it didn't go up 10 billion. It went up 160 billion. Seems like the rich are getting richer. And you know what? This isn't going to stop because whatever, you know, if you read business theory books, this is all about scalability. And the internet has allowed platforms to be created. And we all bet, listen, anyone that says, you know, I'd rather, uh, now Elon's different, but anyone would say, take all the money away from uh, Jeff Bezos. Bezos and, but make Amazon disappear. And you're not getting any of Bezos' <laughs> money. He, let's just get, say Amazon's going to stay. Because you know what? If you want to look at Zuckerberg, who isn't in this strata, but he's billions and billions, Snapchat, Twitter, Elon comes in and buys Twitter with change in his, <laughs> or a big chunk of Twitter with change. And I, I think the whole free speech thing is vital. So it, to me, the platforms lend itself to that leverage 
that comes with wealth. Before the wealth allowed you to get into deals that you couldn't get in if you weren't rich, land deals or whatever, maybe you could have a factory that needed the resources and thus it took all this money to even build this toilet or cast iron, whatever. But now it's literally a bunch of zeros and ones that you can't achieve without scale. How can you replicate Amazon without scale? This is, and in a way, what these platforms do is allow the little person or the non-scale person, not the little person, the non-scaled person, which is 99.9999% of us, including me, you, everyone I know, is, let's see how I want to say this. Like, I, I, like Etsy, right? Yeah. You know that. Yeah. You own stock in that, don't you? I did. Yeah, I oh, do. Oh, you sold it? I, yeah, I sold most of it. Yeah. Okay. So you had so much that you sold it and didn't sell all of it. It quadrupled, and then it went down by half, and I'm like, let me lock in a little profit here. Okay. So what percentage of your holdings did you sell? Like 90. Like, I have one share left. So when you say lock in a profit, it was... But you do realize that what you're doing is you're forcing yourself when you sell that last share to do the tax work on it again to find its basis that's not smart no you never thought of that did you buy and hold should have just but, but, kept but now you're changing the subject what i'm saying is when you're sold you should have just sold I mean, if you're going to sell half of it that's different but but like the one share is going to cause you to have to do i guess it was fomo i'm like if it, if it quadruples again i want a little something from it but you're right it's it's way more work for no reason yeah yeah. Unless if you had a share in Berkshire Hathaway because you wanted to go to the convention, <laughs> yeah. which I bought that. I don't know how. I don't know what it's worth now. And I bought it. I can remember for like three thousand. It's worth way more than that. How much is it? Is it more than like five? This is gonna be fun. All right. I mean, like, it was Class B, right? Because there's two. Well, there's Class A, which is worth 520000 I don't think it's that. Okay. Class B, Berkshire. It must have done a stock split. It's at three hundred fifty, but looking at the chart, it's up and to the right the Okay, whole time. so I would have bought this like in, in let's say, 2000 Okay, you're doing, yeah, you, te you 10 extra money. Really? So it's effectively like thirty k. Yeah. Damn. That's <laughs> nice. Well, you gotta, you're going to have to pay the taxes on it, unfortunately. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Hey, if Doyle taught us anything, he did actually. Doyle, it's funny. There should be a little 20 minute deal on that somewhere where Doyle was like kind of at the center of all the game. I mean, I just have read about this, but you know, it's in the late 70s when he wrote Super Systems. And he told everyone, listen, whatever it costs you in taxes, and Jimmy Carter was in then, so it was something. <laughs> Remember the Simpsons? They go, history's greatest monstrosity. <laughs> but, but my grandfather never really, he, he cared about politics, but he, he complained more about Jimmy Carter. I mean, I was like, like five years old, but then, then all the other presidents combined. <laughs> you want to hear something funny? It's funny. I mean, it's kind of a little sad. Is at the, you know, he lived to be 95 and just died a couple years ago. And, it, you know, the last year or two, he wasn't all the, you know, cognitively wasn't 100% there. And we were, you know, talking at Christmas or whatever, like right before, you know, a year or two before. And uh, 
Trump had just been elected, I think, and we go, what do you think of Trump being president? He goes, he's not president. <laughs> and, he, and again, he was Republican, you know, older, so I mean, he wouldn't have not liked it. It was just he couldn't believe it. So <laughs> that's kind of. <laughs> I mean, it was. I mean, the Simpsons had it in like 2000, way before, and it wasn't serious. People thought it would never happen. You know, again, it's why it, it, we could look at it and say it's an indictment of the country. And I think in some ways every election is, but I also think we can look at it and say, well, we'll, you know, I do think here's how, you know, I don't get political except one for, you know, to me, freedom. And, you know, as a gambler, as a guy that, you know, could have went to the Ivy leagues, I didn't quite McKenzie style, you know, but I think I, my intellect would have held up, huh, Mackenzie? Oh, no doubt. The, <laughs> the differentiating factor between my classmates was not being as smart as you. If everyone was smart as you, uh, yeah, everyone would get straight A's. The differentiating factor, well, I think— they, There wouldn't be a curve then. Yeah, was just effort. I think that's the biggest difference when people oh, in my so class— Oh, so you're saying the difference between your 3-3 three, three yeah. <laughs> was effort. But here's what's confusing about that. You make the effort to lie about your GPA. No, I just point out which GPA I want people to look at. No, but you don't like lay them all out and give them the <laughs> option. No. <laughs> so the effort to do the work, nah. But to lie about it, Confisc sign me up. <laughs> Obfuscate, yep. But Mackenzie Rivers, everyone. But anyway, my point would be freedom. And as a gambler who had another way, I got scoffed at sometimes. And I, I kind of like being the outsider, so I'm fine with that. But, I, I mean... <laughs> This, most countries aren't decided or founded on an organizing principle. Most countries are founded because of geography. And wherever the borders are, there might be some element of organization to that. But this was a kind, this was, I mean, I don't know. It'd be funny one time. You know what would be great? You know how they had like, what was that thing, the biosphere, where, where people went down into the ground? And, the biodome, I think. Was that it, like for a year or something? Yeah. It would be great if, like, rich people who wanted to, like, do that kind of crap, you put them on a replication of the voyage from across the Atlantic. So I think it was, like, four or five weeks. Maybe, like, yeah, like, let's say at the time of, um, let's say, 1880. You know, you know, around that rate. How long did it take to go from Europe to the United States? About six weeks in 1880. That's right. Now, six weeks, and it wasn't Titanic. No. Like, literally, like, like a 10, 15% were dying from, you know, pestilence or whatever. And, like, imagine picking up where all your family is. You're in Italy. Like, my great-grandparents that I never met, they said, you know, I think they were like 30 or 35 when they came. I mean, they, they already had a couple kids. Both my grandmother and grandfather's family was like that, but neither of them had been born yet. They both were born in, so they, you know, not like Cruz, they could have been president. But <laughs> so it was like where you had four kids, two of them born on the other side, two born here. Imagine having two kids and saying, you got your parents there, you got your friends from high school, whatever the hell it is in Italy, and you're saying, I, you know something, for opportunity, I'm going to go to a country that I don't speak the language, 
and I'm going to spend six weeks in the hall of a boat getting seasick and eating, like, who knows what. I mean, that's why they get scurvy. You can't get any fresh food. Can't get any fresh fruit yeah. on a six-week yeah, trip. Yeah, but it's going to be like it's gonna be like the work, you know, bugs in the food, you're going to eat it. And again, obviously, there's, and then they get here, and then they're going to spend, like, who knows, at Ellis Island, and then they're going to, they went to Ohio, so now that's an eight-hour, nine-hour drive going 70. How long did that take? And then you show up, and there's family there that kind of said, oh, you were serious about coming over? <laughs> Three months ago? <laughs> you know, like two years ago. <laughs> and it's like then you, you're getting harassed because you don't speak that. I mean, listen. This is a. This could sound like it's like a. Well, Jesus sounds like he loves immigration. Well, listen, the government obviously should get to decide. And if anyone who doesn't like that, I don't know how to explain. They say no, we should not get to decide as a country. I mean, what is the government? It's the it's the collective will of the people. Yes, that's a great point. And uh, to me, what we can know is that the stock that we came from, not stocks like Rockefeller, but genetics. Were those people in, in, in a little village, Budajanon was the name of it, in Italy, there was what percentage immigrated? I don't know, less than 10, I'm thinking. It was the 10% most ambitious, the most hardworking. And to me, American exceptionalism, it feels like there, was a, there is and was a reason to believe in that. Now, like any society, once you have affluence... All of a sudden, those that becomes less important. I mean, McCain, you drove to Vegas, and you t- that was a big deal. Driving from Chicago with your Yale degree flipping in the wind. It did feel like a huge risk, and I felt American. Travel west, young man. Travel west. <laughs> McKenzie's trying, off his scholarship at Yale. <laughs> He's trying to tell you where to go. <laughs> I was playing 1-2 on Maryland Avenue, right where that McDonald's is. Maryland Avenue? Yeah, sleeping in my car. It's, playing first of all, one- it's Maryland Parkway. It is Parkway, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. but, but go ahead. That's right near campus. What was the cross streets? Uh, Flamingo? Yeah, Flamingo, Twain, and Swenson. I, all right. Well, I lived— about 100 yards from Flamingo and Maryland when I moved. So you there. know it's real. You know the reality of the- <laughs> oh, I do. But again, I ne- I always had, you know, I always had a cook. Listen, I've been I've been lucky. I've been making money since I was 14, Ben. And that's you know, when I had my mom covering the basics, it was easy to bank some, you know, I didn't have to make a ton, right? If you let's just say this, to win at sports betting is hard. It's harder today than it was back then, big time. So, like, you know, it was easier back then because just the markets were less efficient. But to make enough to, at the end of the year, you could buy, let's say, a big gift for someone is hard. But to make your monthly nut is almost impossible because here's, I mean, it's so much harder because you can't have what happens if you have a bad run when you're trying to save for some gift or have a pow at the end. Well, you just you're betting a certain amount based on how much you have put back. You have a bad run; it goes from X to half X. But now, if you got three thousand for this, four thousand, it's a it doesn't take very many bad months, but before you're getting a straight job. Well, when I came out here, my mom would say, "You can't play poker for a living." You can't. And I've seen you play. She was right. <laughs> I was profitable at one too, but not, I, not I, don't, I, I don't think you were. <laughs> no, I think you thought you were, but you probably weren't. But go ahead. I had a spreadsheet. Hardly anyone can be profitable. The rake is such a big percentage of it. It's hard, but go ahead. 
you get the bonuses for being there for 40 oh, hours. Now, now that you're having to get, if you're getting down to the, the, <laughs> the rebate they're giving you, like in, in like Danishes. Okay. I think you're telling a story there. But she said you're, you're not going to win because you can't bet your rent money. You can't, if, it, if it's all you got, you're never going to feel comfortable enough to bet the way you should. So in one, two, you were, you were constrained. You were going to be firing like 60 on the river. <laughs> yeah. But you only fired 40. Exactly. Because I, I needed that 20 bucks for the pizza. In the back of your mind, did you think to yourself... If only I could have fired the 60, who knows where I'd be at pub. <laughs> every day, every time. <laughs> There's a big lesson here, kids. If you think that it's because of that knee injury that you didn't play in the league, <laughs> you, it's not. Most of the time. And if you think you're not, you know, you're not having a poker career because you were afraid to fire your rent money, it's not that either. <laughs> Well, what what else could it be, RJ? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, look, I set up a situation with Fez that, like, a uh, robot could have been, and, and he still took you down. And Fez isn't even that good at poker. I had 90, he doesn't want any pieces. I had 90 minutes on the clock. I was even in chip count. I just had to sit there. Oh, you had to, like, I had it so he had to be, you ties one for yeah, you. Yeah, all I had to do was sit there. You could have probably got blinded out. <laughs> now, and just would, barely made it. <laughs> that would have been funny. He would have got all mad. <laughs> yeah, he would we should do that's an interesting. All right. Let's bring it back home. What do we got? We're all, I we are literally going about 60 seconds the rest of these. That was a pretty good conversation. All right. The Mavs, Luca. You got this is the only thing we need to talk about with Dallas. I am gonna tell you, I like Dallas in game one. All right. Opening line of the game, which happened after Luca's injury, but by all accounts, they weren't accounting for it, was plus three. So that means the Jazz, it would have been the Mavs at home favored by three. Now, that assumes about even teams because home court in the f- playoffs, three is what we're using. You agree? Yes. Two in the regular season bumps up a point in the playoffs. Okay. Three in the playoffs. So now the line's gone to minus four, minus 20. So let's call it four and a half. It's more than four and a half of four minus two. I'll take... I'll take plus one, or I'll take even money at four instead of minus 110 at four and a half if I'm taking the dog. Okay, which is what I'm taking. Because the greatest player in NBA history, Mr. Michael Jordan, was worth six points. LeBron in his prime prime was worth six. And maybe that was a half point too high. Now, you might say three to four, four and a half is seven and a half points. That's true, but don't forget not to get too didactic. You got that one, Mackenzie? Yes, I'm going to look it up right now. The Fads better listen to this thing. Is if you go from minus one to pick them and then pick them to minus one the other way, that's only two ticks, but it counts as two points. That's not two points. So let's take off a point. It's calling Luca the most valuable player in the history of the NBA. Read the definition. Didactic, intended to teach, particularly in having moral instruction, as an ulterior motive. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Like saying, like, don't have sex to, like, like girls in Catholic school. But what would the ulterior motive be? That you don't want them to have sex? Yeah, I don't think that's ulterior. Like, their example is a didactic novel that's set up to expose social injustice. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. So it's saying, because my understanding was to be very technically specific and to be about the 
almost like the the minutia, but but the minutia. It's almost like if I explain PR, but went into a deep dive on exactly you know the formula. That's didactic, as in it's got a purpose, but maybe not what you're trying to accomplish here. Okay, the whole ulterior motive. I got to think about that, but not now. Now, Luca, the best player in the history of the NBA, or at least the most valuable. Hmm. But if you look at the numbers, and I tell you, these numbers surprise me. And given McKenzie credit on this, he he did a. In fact, I'm going to tweet this out at RJ in Vegas on Twitter. Got to just double check, make sure we got all the decimal points and all that. But McKenzie said, let's look at all of the key players in the NBA that missed a you know material number of games, and let's see how the teams did with and without these players. And this Luca stuff is just eye popping. So let's start on the surface, which is straight up. When Luca played for the Mavs, forty-four and twenty-one. I mean, that's better than sixty-six percent. It's almost seventy percent. When he didn't play, they were below five hundred, eight and nine. Damn, Luca, valuable. Maybe as valuable as anyone since MJ. Okay, let's look at their ATS record. Because <clears throat> my assumption is Luke is overvalued. So what would happen to ATS if he's overvalued? They'd probably do well without him. Well, 9-7-1 against the spread without him. Okay, that doesn't tell us a ton. Here's the shocker. We're looking at net rating again. This is offense efficiency, defense efficiency. Now, why is this better than straight up? Why is this better than even ATS? Because... Like with the Pythagorean concept, if you win a bunch of games by two, you lose a bunch of games by 40, you're worse than your record and vice versa. Well, when Luca was on the floor or played in the game, not on the floor, but played in the game, those games, the net margin, net rating was plus four points. Now, where's plus four put a team on those rankings? Would be the eighth best right now. All right. When... Luca was off the floor in a game. And again, this was 17 games. This wasn't nothing. 17 games plus eight. Where's plus eight put him? Right behind Phoenix. He'll be second in the league. So the Dallas Mavs in 17 games without Luca playing one second in those games was about as good as the Phoenix Suns. Yes. And yeah, that's what we're talking about here. But the line when they thought Luca was playing was minus three, and now we're getting four and a half. Incongruent. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. We're fading Luca. Just like I did the night before his 21st birthday in Miami. You remember that? Yes, yeah, Mark. Playing under points point total. under, yeah. Apparently, someone else is fasting. Who's fast? Oh, I think it's Kyrie. Yeah. And the game goes on Saturday like a five. Like it's right in that. It's like the Ramadan feast zone. Now, someone was talking about Hakeem Olajuwon apparently fasted his whole no, career. No, first of all, someone was, and it was on uh, Bill Simmons. Okay. That's where I remember it from. Yeah. But – yeah, Hakeem was a different breed. If you if you compare Hakeem to anyone, you're making a mistake. Yeah, I would even say Enos Cantor is closer to Kyrie Irving than Kyrie Irving is to Hakeem Olajuwon. Everyone's closer yeah. to Kyrie than they are to Hakeem. Hakeem, that's just the way he lived. He was a 
He was very Spartan. <laughs> and I, who knows? Kyrie's crazy. But I tell you this. I mean, crazy as in he could be brilliant in this way or that. I mean, he's wacky. I mean, the world's flat. Come on. But I cannot bet Boston or I can't bet uh, Brooklyn. I can't. And, and I'm almost, listen, if his over under points doesn't account for this, I think it's an auto play under because his points in theory are going to give you 50-50 anyway. So you're going to lose your 5%, a little less than 5 on the 20 cent straddle on VIG theoretically long term. You're telling me the chance of this affecting him isn't more than that 5%? It's kind of that perfect time of day, 3.30 the perfect, Eastern. Which is the opposite yeah. of perfect. Yeah. Because he can't eat before, but it's hard to eat during a game. Yeah, it's going to be nighttime after, plus, in the locker room. he won't be able to even drink water because, I mean, with the, the, time zone, the, the time change or whatever, the fall back, spring forward – I mean, it, it, he can't eat till dark, right? Or he drink yeah. till dark. So he's going to play an entire basketball game where the last time he took water or food was before midnight. And that's not going to affect him? They can eat in the morning, 4 no. or 5 a.m. Yeah, but they're not. I mean, I don't I – mean, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but are they waking up like five minutes before the sun comes up and like and guzzling like a ham and eggs and stuff? I mean, that's what my Muslim friends would do. Yeah, they they they, they were. Well, they were also like doing bong hits during <laughs> Ramadan, right? Yeah, they weren't the strictest. Yeah. They did whatever. <laughs> I mean, is that true? They'd wake up at like five and go to Denny's. No, they'd have a meal. They'd have a big meal. They'd talk about how how much they're going to eat. And oh, I can't were, wait. And were we? You were up with them? No, it's something they told me. I could see you like converting to some crazy religion <laughs> for like a month. I mean, how many different times did you tell your mom, mom, I'm now a Muslim or mom, I'm now a part of this church of Scientology or whatever. Was there, there's got to be great. My, my over under <laughs> is one and a half. I, I said I'm searching. No, I, I never, I never had a. I That's never why when she caught you with LSD is what you said. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got a best bet. You like that bet? I do. D- did you somehow have it before me? I did not. Mm-hmm. Well, you'll have it now. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, what I'm saying is, it, it, listen, 17 games, obviously Luke is valuable, but when all we got to beat is he's the most valuable player ever. Huh. And the difference between why this Mavericks team has done so well, number one net rating since March 29th, you know, just an arbitrary number, but recently, is the defense. And the defense without him has been 105 net rating. That's what I think they bring to the table. That's so what's what Jason, an average defense? 110. So they're five points better than average. That might be the way to say it. All right. And plus, to me, I like game one because whatever tricks they have up their sleeve, they got all this time to prepare. I think game two, you know, you're going to see their best shot. But they're figuring, hey, if we can win one of these two, because you did some interesting math at my behest when it comes to what the line was opening and what the line is now and what is the assumption of the spreads in each of the games. Yeah, and you asked me, if you assume that this spread in game one, four and a half for the Mavericks, or I'm sorry, for the Jazz. I think at the time it was four. Was consistent. Yeah, it was four. Throughout the seven games, what would the Let line be for be the series? Here. Let's be clear. Consistent relative to home court. Yeah. All right, so it would be Jazz favored by four at Dallas, and then it would be favored by ten on the road, right? Because we're doing a six-point flip? Or did you do a four-point flip? I did a four-point flip. Okay. So probably going to even out or so, well, I guess the home court, to, it, it changes it by a little, but what is the, so based on that, we would say, okay, if, now what is that telling us? It's saying the assumption is Luke is not playing. If Luke had played, 
the assumption would be very different. It would be Mavs favored by three at home, and and uh, you know, in theory, it'd be Jazz by three at their place. So, how many games is it assumed? And what's the current money line? Minus three hundred. Take back plus two fifty. All right. Now, the, there was an opening number before they knew how seriously he was hurt for the series, which was? Jazz were minus 150. Okay. Now, that surprised me. So, the Jazz, so Mavs have home court, but the Jazz were minus 150. That's like 90 cents more towards the Jazz than if you thought these teams were even before Luka got hurt. But still, it went from that all the way up to 300. Yeah. All right. What did we figure out was the assumptions of how many games Luca would miss? If he missed the first four games and returned at full strength for game five, that would put a Vigilis number right here at minus 275. So it's saying probably out the first four games or at least. Out the first four and then maybe a little hobbled in game five and then five. Yeah. So there's your, that's what Vegas is telling you. Do you believe it or not? Act accordingly. I think. Game one is the perfect spot. Prep time, surprise opportunity for the Mavs without Luka. This season says Luka's absence isn't as dramatic as you might think. Okay, I am literally putting, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you pick which team in the East you want to spend three minutes on. Then you can pick which team you want to spend two minutes on. Then the remaining teams are one. So who is the team you've got the strongest take on? The Boston Celtics. You got three minutes. So the Boston Celtics obviously have had the two main guys in Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. You know, for great years insight now. so far. I think people forget that they've made like three Eastern Conference Finals as this young core. Jason Tatum just turned twenty-four. The difference this year was the coaching change, particularly what they what he did with Robert Williams. He I, made, I'm confused. Uh, they allowed you to eliminate rookies because obviously their trend lines are going to be sharper. And amongst all the NBA players, Tatum, his increase in his, um, you know, met the, this metric, right, estimated plus minus, was, I can't remember if he was the number one in the league or if he was number two, but he was at the very top. So a guy who was a borderline superstar who a couple years ago didn't make third-team All-NBA and it was a big contractual thing, but he was in the conversation for third team all NBA grew as much improved as much as any non rookie in the league. So to me, that says a ton about Tatum. And to me, that's a big chunk of this Boston story is Brown. You know, if, if we want to say at the end of these games, it's about who can get their shot after everyone's made their moves and counter moves throughout the series, late in the series, late in the game, Tatum now can get his shot. Now, typically a team needs two of those guys to be a champion. Is someone else going to be able to step up for Boston? We'll see. We know Brooklyn has two, but I think it's been reported that Tatum's coming his own, but I think he's grown more than even the reporting suggests. Yeah, what's fascinating about it is his points per game have been consistently good. I mean, they've been better recently, but his assists per game every month has increased. 3.8 October? 3.9 3.9 November, 6.0 in April. Literally ticked up every month. That talks about team chemistry, and that talks about his individual improvement. It's funny. So you start with three point, what was it? Eight. And you said, okay, I'm going to name one more month between now and, and current, between then and current. <clears throat> Let me pick the month that moves up a tenth. 
<laughs> January 4.6. That, that might have been better. Let's try try that. October only 3.8 assists per game. Uh-huh, uh-huh. January jumps up a 4.6. Ooh, April okay. leaps now 6.0. We saw this with Kevin Durant. Scorer, but now he can do everything. When did we see this with Durant? Like 2014. Okay. <laughs> if you recall. All right. So if I said Boston's is good, that Boston may be the best team in the NBA. Because if you look at from a certain point, you know, New Year's, whatever is that range, the numbers say maybe. And you know what else the number? They're the second best team just overall. If you look at some of the margins they've got, there's a big belief in the NBA or NFL, NFL that says a team that can just blow out average or below average teams, that consistency means more than a team that, let's say, gets lucky and wins a couple coin flips against the elite. Often the elite button heads, there's a lot of coin flipping to it. They're both very good. It's the team that... Like, unfortunately, the Steelers the last 10 years when they've been good, they still struggle against the Raiders a bunch. And then there's the team like the Patriots. You know, the Steelers in the 70s had one of the most amazing streaks. They went like four years, I think it was, between losing to a team with a losing record. Now, the losing record was determined at the end of the season. So if you retroactively say the team's – with a losing record are not great teams once you've played the 16 games or 14 before 78. That's a pretty good measure. I mean, it's, you know, if a team's uh, one and two and then they finish nine and seven or, or 10 and six, it's like, yeah, it can be different. But at the end of the year, you're done. Is of all the losing teams they played, it was like four years and something like, let me see, I think they won like 40 straight games. In fact, give a quick look up to that. Just say Steelers 70s versus losing teams. And I think it was Pro Football Reference that did the most work on, or some of the work on this, that that those teams are just drill. And if you look at Boston, Boston had some crazy stat this year where they were like, uh, they were up by 20. Do you know this stat? Uh, You're talking about road games, right? I think so. Like there was like this crazy number of straight road games that they were at some point in the game winning by 20. Boston won five games in a row without trailing, winning by average of 30 points per game. That would be the highest margin of that kind of streak in NBA history. And did you get the Steelers? The Steelers of 1970 never had to deal with the losing. This seems promising. Well, we'll we'll do it another time. All right, we did a little time shift. I, I... it's late, but I wanted to get this Steelers stuff right. Mackenzie actually found it, and I found something else. Between 1972 and what, the end of this streak, yeah. we don't know exactly when it was, but it extended into the late 70s. They played 60 games against teams the Steelers did that had a losing record at the end of the year. So they were losing teams, if you look at it from the end of the year perspective. In those 60 games... They were 59 and one. Not bad. 59 and one. Now in 76, they start, they had won two straight Super Bowls. No team yet has won three. They started the year one and four. Let's just say fluky. Bradshaw got hurt in that fifth game. So you're starting quarterback out. You're one and four. It's over, right? Not if you're from, in a 14 game season. Yeah, your season's over at that point. Not if you're from Pittsburgh. <laughs> not if your dad went to the Steel Mill every morning. 
Then he came home drank, slapped you around a little bit. <laughs> now that'll get you some grit. Felt up your girlfriend. I mean, <laughs> that toughens up an area. Let me tell you. There's nothing worse than your dad hitting on your girlfriend in high school. After drinking, no less. Well, yeah. if you drink every day, what do you do? It's like he, wore, he had pants on, too. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, it would have been legal. Okay. At that point, there were nine games left in the regular season. These were the... How do I want to do it? You know, I'll do this a little quicker. This was the scoring cluster. Where did I put that? Oh, here it is. Five shutouts. So nine games, let's say half plus one extra. We don't want you scoring any points because our quarterbacks hurt. So we figure we can't lose if you don't score. Then there were two games with three points scored. You got a field goal. So seven of nine games, either a shutout or they got a field goal. The next game, it jumped. They got six. That's good. Eight and nine, <laughs> six, three, three, zero, 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 zero. Is that right? Zero, 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 three, three, six. And then Houston and Bum Phillips, Earl Cam. I don't think Cam was playing at this point. <laughs> they got 16. Steelers still doubled their score, 32, 16. You know, it's demented. I'm, I'm bragging about shit for 40 years. <laughs> but still... When your dad felt up your girlfriend, it's what you do. <laughs> by the way, Pelicans win by 10. That team, I mean, I don't. I heard Zion was cited getting a beignet. Is that what they got? Yeah, it's a, well, that's a New Orleans dish. I don't think he's been in New Orleans in a He didn't come months. for this game? Did you notice the, the outfit Simmons had on? Everyone was talking about it, it was lambskin? Yes. Yeah, Did you see it or not? I didn't see it. I heard people talking about it. Here's what's fascinating. It looks like he was a mascot for the Boston Celtics. Interesting. Like, was he taunting the Celtics? Yeah, that is a Celtic green right there. There's no it? doubt about it. It looks like if it was wrestling, he'd come out with that and saying he's on the Celtics now. <laughs> but his back hurts and he can't play. But if you're a Celtic, you'd be shivering in your boots if he could play. I mean, he's wearing your color. Can't... No, maybe you think he's on your team. All I know is in Chicago, people don't like wearing your, when you're wearing your color. All right, rapid fire. Who, if you could have any ticket for a team, if they win the East, you cash, who do you take? I think it'd be the Brooklyn Nets at 9-1. to The one. seventh seed. Now, you realize Brooklyn's an underdog now. In the series price, uh, they opened up a favor. A lot of Boston money steamed in early. So you like Brooklyn in that series. Yeah, I lean that way. I haven't bet it yet. You lean that way, but you like them best to win it all, except you lean that way in the first round or win it all in the East. Because it's really close. My second would be the Celtics. I think these are the best two teams in the East deciding it in round one. So, obviously, a lot of people are saying, you might be forgetting someone, McKenzie. Guy nice anti toko umpo. What's with Milwaukee? They're... Boy, this is strong. They're excellent. I mean, they're I, excellent. So, so they're almost the pick you'd make. Yeah. In fact, I love them in the so round. What you're saying is <laughs> that you would take Brooklyn first, Boston second, Milwaukee third, but really there's no distinction between them. Yeah. Fourth and fifth. Fascinating. Throughout the Sixers, throughout the Heat, it's going to be one of those three. So the three favorites, you think one of them is going to win the East? Okay. So looking at the odds. We've got the um, Bucks are second favorite to win the title, four, plus 475. Celtics 9-1, Nets 9-1. So under that theory, you would say Celtics, Nets, 
by far you like better since their payoffs almost double. Yes. I don't, I don't think we've seen anything from Milwaukee. You talk about their net rating plus four. Yeah, they won the championship last year, but if Irving doesn't get hurt in game three, they're probably down 3 0 in yeah, that I series. Mean, you can always talk that. And there's no team that wins it that there isn't a what if. Yeah. But the, the part that made Milwaukee champion is what they did after that. And Giannis, they were, they were laughing at him at the beginning of the playoffs about his free throws. Last game of the season, 17 for 19. So, yeah, he grew up. He became that transcendent player, which he is now. So, yeah. yeah so it Giannis makes it tough. is transcendent. The top three teams are about even. Well, I'm hoping people aren't wrecking their cars. <laughs> like saying, what? Wait a minute. You got anything? Holy, we're just opening up the whole East to you. The Milwaukee Bucks have killed the Chicago Bulls. I think they're going to win in a sweep. I think that's a great bet. I bet them minus two and a half games. Giannis hasn't lost to the so Bulls. Minus two and a half games. I like that they're moving in this direction. It's effectively saying Bulls won't win two. Bulls can win zero or one. What was the odds on that? Minus 150. So you're laying the lumber that a team won't win two games. They've won 13 straight with Giannis in the lineup versus the Bulls, and it hasn't been close. Only three of those games have been single digits. Wow. Who, who gave you an idea to look that stat up? I, I, I think it was yeah. R.J. Bell. Somehow you had a good stat somehow in there. <laughs> now think about that. So the stat that's going around is something in one. But Giannis wasn't there, right? Yeah. So what, were they 2-1 and one without Giannis or something like that? Yeah. Against Chicago? The big three hadn't lost except for one. Yeah. So why are we talking about the big three now? Is that who it is or is it Giannis? You're talking about the stat that was going around. That's what I heard. But when we heard it, we looked up Giannis specifically because we thought that would get to the meat Who's of it. And it did. the big three? Drew Holiday. Okay. And Chris Middleton. That's not big. I mean, there's there three the of big, them. Well, yeah. If, if they're the big three, the Wild Samoans had three. One, you know, sometimes they would not, you know, it'd be a six-man match. He'd bring him in, the third guy. I don't think he was related to him, like they said. I think he was Cousin Sika or something. One sec. No, oh, yeah. Drew Holiday, the second point guard. We talked about EPM earlier in this pod. Goes Steph Curry, Drew Holiday, number two this year, plus five points. Plus two points on defense. I think he's underrated. I think he deserves to be a big three. We talked about how good the Bucks were before they got Drew Holiday. You know? I never said anything about Holiday. Yeah, but we just talked about how good the Bucks were. Those no, I'm years. saying I'm talking about how Middleton is not a big anything. Eh, he's I'm, all right. He's a Middleton. He's fair to Middleton. Let's let that be our last little cleverness. Um, here's here's what we're gonna do. We're turning McKenzie's mic off so he can relax. We don't want him stressed out. Say something. And no one can hear it. Okay. Now, next up we have a pick from Dave Astler, Diamond Dave. He has an over-under. Which game is this? Just tell me. Dallas-Utah. Dallas-Utah. So that's the series starting game one. That's good. So it's a nice lead time. You're going to get that. Then right when it's over, you're going to hear a little bit of talk about Brooklyn from me, SOV today. I actually think it's something no one else is saying. And then, and then, you know something? Maybe we save it. We went long today. I think we keep banked. I think we bank that stuff. Yeah, so this will be it. We'll be asking we're out next week. AJ's back. Fez is back. Well-rested. I think Fez is drinking cube or uh, cucumber water. I mean, you know, getting... He's getting all... Your mic's off. You don't have to talk. 
So thank you. Thank, listen, Mackenzie thanks you. I mean, you can say you were there. If he ever becomes good at this, and I, I'll tell you this, his presentation isn't great. Well, I would say below average, but his instincts are below average. <laughs> his looks. <laughs> but he's got the makings of a varsity athlete. See you next week. Love and I bet the Mavericks Jazz under 214.5 Saturday. The world knows Doncic is out, and I admit only a two-point adjustment in the side at Circa surprises me, but only a one-point adjustment in the total surprises me even more, enough to bet this under, because I was going to bet this under anyway. First, the pace. The Jazz are 25th in shots attempted. Dallas is 27th. Not going to be an up-tempo game. By the books basing this, off of Dallas's last eight games, six of which went over, while one of those two that didn't, 2-14 game at Utah with Doncic. It's a Mavs team that was second in points per game allowed, and Dallas played 17 games without Doncic this season, and in seven of those games they held the opponent under 100 points, and in only two of them did they allow the opponent more than 113, which is the Jazz average points per game. Having said that, I was going to bet it before Doncic is out, so I'll certainly bet a number that's not adjusted enough. Mavs, Jazz, under 214 on Saturday. There is a fascinating first round series with the Celtics, and we've got the odds on that, and we've got the odds adjustment Remember, and we'll start with the odds because this is fascinating. Remember, the opening line is the opinion of that sports book. That's why any book that does a world opener, we call it, they are saying no one on earth has a line on this yet. We will put the first number up and we will be a target for every better in the world. Imagine. It's like if there's a playground of people and there's a bunch of muddy puddles and you're a kid and you got a white shirt on. A sports book is like that does the world openers walking by strutting with a white shirt saying, throw me in the mud. They're ready to take the bets. And you know what? I am against bookies in general, cockroaches as we call them, because most of them are most of the time. They try to take advantage. They exploit. They don't want to hear that, but it's true. It's, I got decades of experience to tell you how true that is. You can lose to them 20 straight weeks. You win that 21st, they don't like you. That's fine. I don't like them. But you got to give them credit, these sports books, when they put up a world opener. Yeah, they've got the VIG, but the VIG isn't that big oftentimes. You know, sometimes it's too big, but in a normal bet, if you are, you're opening up the first NFL line on the Super Bowl, your VIG is less than 5%, minus 110, minus 110. You're saying you think that number's right, and everyone in the world can agree or disagree. And if they agree with you, nothing happens. You don't benefit from that as a sports book, because no one bets if they agree with the line. If they disagree is when they bet. So it's, it's, I don't want to call it a no-win, but it's a precarious position to do the world opener. So when the world opener happened in the Boston-Brooklyn series... And remember now, Brooklyn 7th seed, Boston 2nd, home court, Boston, which matters because if it goes 3-3, now you're going to be, if they're even teams, you're going to be a three-point favored instead of a three-point dog. That's pretty significant. Now, only in Game 7, but yeah, it's meaningful. Typically, 
if you have even teams in a seven-game NBA series, typically the home team, if the teams are even, is going to be about minus 140. My 140 wins you 100. So if Boston were even with Brooklyn, Boston would be minus 140 because they got home court. The odds opened up, the world opener, Brooklyn favored. Brooklyn favored, small favorite. And then, boom, boom. Imagine just fist of cash getting pounded on the table, comes flowing in on Boston. And, like, very quickly, Boston became the favorite. So it's fascinating because you're going to hear some people say, yep, Brooklyn, they opened the fave. That's true. That was the one sports book saying, we think this should be the number. But by definition, if they knew what the number should be, they would never change it. They would never move it. Moving numbers is about saying, oh, you're making a statement that you disagree with us and you're backing it with cash? Okay, we're going to take that seriously. And that's why they keep moving it. Why do they move it? Because they want to make the side that's getting bet unattractive or less attractive and make the side that's not getting bet more attractive. So initially, Boston's getting plus money because Brooklyn's favored. They want to say, whoa, 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 we're getting way too much Boston. Let's make Boston less of an underdog. Then eventually, let's make them the favorite. Why? Because they wanted more action on Brooklyn because that wasn't what they were getting. So if, Mackenzie, we look at the current number, what is it in the Boston-Brooklyn series? Celtics favored by their minus 140 on the series. Wait a minute. What does 140 represent? That is home court advantage. Yes. So right now, the betting market is saying, and that's not just the world opener, but it's all the better since. The betting market is saying these are even teams. Brooklyn and Boston are even. Boston has home court. Boston is minus 140. Okay. That feels right to me. A lot of people, a lot of people are saying, oh, no, Brooklyn, this is just all the hype. It's, a, you know, it's, it's all this talk on potential. And I agree. Markets love potential. Humans love potential. Because when you see Kyrie start off like 11 straight shots from the field, and he ends the half with a fall away to stay perfect. You think, man, I couldn't do that. Even my best game back in junior high, I couldn't do that. And I don't see many others that can do that. Maybe no one can do that. I want to be on that side. I want to bet that side. Yeah, But it's not about the heights always. It's about the consistency. Because I would make the case last year, the best team when they were playing the best. So the best team at their height was Brooklyn. If you looked at the numbers when the big three at the time on Brooklyn all played together, they were as good as any team we've seen in memory. Mackenzie, NBA expert, would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, their offense alone was like 10 points better than what the all-time record would have been. So as long as they were competent on defense and they were with the big three together, they were blowing teams out. Yeah. Including the Celtics in the first round last year. And think about this. Think about how we've been kind of bellyaching about the Nets. And I think everyone's been making a major fundamental mistake. And this is what it is. This is the mistake. The question isn't, is this decision perfect? The question is, is this decision better than the other viable decisions that could have been made? 
If I'm falling off a building from the 10th floor, I don't think any decision is going to be a good one. But, you know, what am I going to do? I don't know. I'm not sure there's any good decision. <laughs> you got a second or two, and then that's it. But one might be a little better than the other, but none of them's all that good. And you know what? When I go to the Bellagio Buffet, I've got all kind of good decisions. Do I go shrimp? Do I go prime rib? You know, I'm not going to make a bet now. And usually don't get to sushi, but, you know, I, even Bellagio can trump that. It's fine. Sushi's fine. Most buffets don't, though. In general, if you look at the Nets, what was their alternative to signing? You know, oh, Durant shows up and says, hey, I kind of want to take over this franchise. You mind? I'm going to bring in Kyrie. <laughs> it's like, yeah, go ahead. We still own it. Go ahead. Take the car for a ride. You know? I mean, I, yeah, I get it. In a perfect world, you could say, it'd be nice to have those guys, but instead of Harden, you would have gotten this guy or two guys. And instead of Kyrie and the world's flat and the vaccination stuff, you'd have Kyrie, except he'd have a lobotomy and he'd be thinking <laughs> like I want him to think. Yeah, all that's great, except it's fantasy. So it's not great. The choice was be a team that was irrelevant pretty much every day of the last, I don't know, 50 years. I mean, we can pick oh, Jason Kidd the one time, you know, okay. Or you could be literally, you couldn't have an NBA and you can't have an NBA conversation without including the Brooklyn Nets in the last two years since they decided to say, yes, we will take that. Whatever the conditions, we're fine with it. So, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say it's been imperfect. I think it's fair to say seventh seeds in general means there's been some kind of disappointment. But if you think about it, what miracle did it take last season for Brooklyn not to win it? So, by definition, the champion's the best team. And most of the time, I think that's correct. I mean, it's not always, but I think it's correct. And Milwaukee, what had to happen for them to beat Brooklyn like two of the big three had to get hurt I mean we could say well Harden was back yeah he was imagine Harden with lack of mobility add that on top of his normal lack of mobility that's never it hasn't been a strong suit for a while and still it was what an inch away from going to overtime in game seven on a three it went to overtime oh that oh, shot that, that would have won it okay yeah. you're right I'm thinking back to my TNT broadcast. Okay, I remember now. <laughs> yes, sir. And it's it, and to me, it's an in. And do you really think that what was it? Atlanta was next. You think Atlanta was beating them? No. And then the theory is, I don't know when Kyrie would have came back. That team, as it was constituted, the Brooklyn Nets, as they were constituted last year, when healthy, were so far and away the best team. And, and you know, I don't even think it was competitive. I mean, you know. Two, three point. I mean, I think they would have been a clear favorite in every round. The fact that even what team can have one of their superstars go down and still like if just one of the superstars would have went down last year, if just Harden would have went down and Kyrie was fine, or vice versa, they beat Milwaukee, they win the title. Like, what team can you take away one of their best three players and they still win the title? Most likely, none. But somehow that's how good Brooklyn was. And it took Kyrie going down, and it took Harden being hobbled at 50%, and it was an inch away from beating the champions. Now, this year, it's a different story. It's not as appealing for Brooklyn. 
Because Harden, instead of it being some injury, it was a self-inflicted injury, maybe, mental. But he wanted out. And then it, it's taking the bad luck of the best trade you can get being for someone else seemingly with self-inflicted injuries, Ben Simmons, who has yet to contribute a single point or rebound or defensive stop. Not one. Just been a distraction so far. And still, Brooklyn versus, I don't know, could be the second best team in the NBA. If you say Boston, since the calendar year turned, is the second best team behind Phoenix, I'm not sure I'm going to debate you too hard. What do you think, McKenzie? Looking at the cleaning the glass net rating, they actually have the number one net rating even ahead of the South, even ahead of the Suns since January 1. Three points better than the Suns. That's how good they've been. So let's accept the fact that Boston's one of the best teams in the NBA. And there's been a major turnaround since, you know, new coach, new year. It really started gaining traction. And this team, with one of their big three done gone, in return, they've gotten nothing so far on the court. Kyrie missing some games, other all these distractions about vaccines. Finally settling down, but you got two of the big three and a depleted, depleted bench reserves, whatever. You know, Blake Griffin giving them nothing, et cetera. And they are an even team against maybe the best team in the NBA, if not the second best team. How in the heck can anyone question what Brooklyn did last year? It took the fortune and chance going against them at every turn to not win a title already. And they ha- they're very viable to win a title this year. So, yeah, we can lament and bellyache and old-time it, you know, back in my day, and all that's fine. But the truth is, things have gone against Brooklyn, and still they're better off than nearly every team in the NBA. And what was the alternative? What was the alternative? Nothing good. All right. That's pretty good, huh? Mackenzie, what'd you think? Excellent stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.